Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see if you please stand with us and sing along. everybody today y'all pray for Curtis he was base jumping this week and broke a hip and by base I mean first step to the floor so but y'all pray for Ann especially during this time um let's greet each other if you're comfortable with a hug take a hug if you're comfortable with a handshake take a handshake if you fist bump chicken wing take it if you don't want anything, the Methodist Church down the street will be starting in about 20 minutes.
All right, well, things are a little bit different this morning. We don't have a choir and all, but we're just going to spend a little bit of time here in worship together. So if you'll just continue to, to sing and worship with us. This is a, a new song, but you've, many of you probably heard it before. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along, put me back together. Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend, cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Better than 
Nothing is better than you Oh, there's nothing better than you There's nothing better than you Lord, there's nothing Nothing is better than you into armies You turn seas into highways You're the only one who came You're the only one who came You're the only one who came Lord I come I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me Yes, you're my one defense, you're my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Amen. You can go ahead, have, have, have a, go ahead and have a seat. But you got to keep singing. We're going to do one more song, but I think you know this one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. My chains are gone.
amazing love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing grace. Let's pray. Dear God, we just pause and thank you for your amazing grace. Dear God, it's hard to to sing that song and just not be uh, reminded and confronted with uh, how wicked our hearts can be and how we can turn from you and, and yet how in our sin, dear God, you reached down, you sent your son uh, to die for us. Uh, a love that uh, is immeasurable and uh, it's unmerited and dear God, we just pause and give you thanks for that. Um, it seems <clears throat> seems difficult to put together the words to even express um, the gift that you've given us, but we, uh, we thank you. It is nothing short of amazing. We just pray that you will uh, be with your servant David as he uh, comes this morning, and, and we open up our, your word together. We just pray that you will speak to our hearts um, through the message this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Good morning for you Calvinists out there. I'm working on my Spurgeon impression for Halloween. We like a good story, do we not? Everybody loves a good story. Stories are so much a part of the American culture that if I tell you the genre, for example, a fairy tale, how does it begin? Once upon a time, a scary story begins how it was a dark and stormy night. Everybody loves a good story. How does a story begin? A long, long time ago, can't talk about unless you are a woman. But we love stories. And that's, and that's been, been the way humanity has been, been since the start of the We love a good story. Now, now today, you're no to say that we're in John chapter 19, and in fact, we are. are. But, but for us, such a word of marriage, and that passage really digests what it is saying. We've got to go to the ten for a moment. We've got to see John 19 through the lens of a first-century Jew. So, so if you'll bear with me for just a few moments, I'll try to rush through it. Some, some of the Sunday night people just giggled. Ha, 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 ha. They just rush through it. We're going to teach a little, 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 little so we can preach a little. In John chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, towards the end of the chapter, the seven of you come back in, Jesus raised his father for all the barriers that they have seen and experienced by the hand of God, and he's teaching. And as he's teaching, teaching, a lawyer stands up here good news. A lawyer. And the lawyer asked Jesus probably the most important question any man or child has asked of Christ. What does I do to inherit eternal life? It was a bright experience in the second And Jesus. Setting up the power play ever so magnificently, what does it do to the lawyer? He asks him a question. Now, a lawyer never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to, right? 
Because, because you did very big work, you did. The witches may get something that's a surprise that you were planning on, and you just got that one for her all night, you got that good. So, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus? Well, to the lawyer, how do you read it in the law? What does the lawyer say? He goes back to Deuteronomy 6, where the Shema is, and he goes back to number 16. And, and, it was was and, and he, he said, Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, now See, Jesus said it up. He asked the question, question I mean, the lawyer is going to interpret it the right way. Where Jesus has an opportunity to correct fallacious thinking, false thinking, heretical thinking. When we encounter people out in the world, ask them about the Bible. When they, when they ask, ask you about your faith, faith they, they ask, ask you about Jesus. Ask them, well, how do you read it? Because either they're, they're going to give you the correct answer, or B, it gives you the opportunity to correct false thinking. But Jesus said it up to correct false thinking, and the Lord being also like a man watch this. Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus began to tell the story, but there's something wrong with this. The lawyer skipped a very, very important question he made a horrible assumption. His assumption that his vertical relationship with God was correct, and his horizontal relationship was not. He, the pastor said he sought to justify himself. I'm going to see who I can love, who I don't have to love, who I can spend time on, who I don't have to spend time on, who, 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 who is a benefit of my time, who is a waste of my time. Surely, if he's as great as they say he is, he'll tell them. And Jesus tells a great story. What do we call him? The Good Samaritan, absolutely. The Good Samaritan goes that a man went down to Jericho. Stop. Jesus has just set up. One of the scariest stories a first-century Jew could encounter. The road to Jericho is about 30 miles long, 29 and a half years It's like walking from here to here. And as it, it can be done in a day, it's a straight, it's a good day's journey. And there are times when the road to Jericho is only like four or five feet wide, there are times when it's 100 feet wide. There's there all kinds of nooks, nooks, crannies, there's coves, mountains, there's caves, robbers hide out, thieves hide out, bands, long bands hide out, and robbers hide out, and robbers So this is a scary road. It's kind of like what it was for you. You don't try to try to try to try to And so they set it up. Jesus says, there's a certain man on the road to Jericho, and instantly, Kind of like, like watching the old horror movie in America. You've got a pretty young actress who's running through the scary house being chased by whatever the monument is that character is. And she comes to the only door that flows in the house. And she's in the house. And what do we yell? Don't you think heroes? Don't go in there! Don't! He's in there! I know he is! Like it does in the good. That's, That's exactly, exactly the reaction these Jews are sitting around. Don't, don't go down the road to Jericho by yourself. Don't, don't do it. There's robbers. There's thieves. And sure enough, as the young lady opens the door, who's there? Whatever character, Jason, Freddy, whatever horror character, the blob. 
Man goes down to Jericho, and what happens? He gets beat up by robbers and thieves. They take his possessions, carry on. And then Jesus begins to introduce other individuals. He says, a priest came by. And what does the priest do? He sidestepping. So if it's in one of those little narrow sections, he's like stepping over the guy. It's not like, oh, I didn't see you over there. He's having to intentionally step over. And then it says, a Levite came by in the same way. He had to walk by or step over. And then it says, the good Samaritan came by, saw him, bandaged him up, and took him to a hostel, put him up for, he gave him two denarii, which a night at an inn is roughly a 32nd of a denarii. So he put him up for two months in this inn, or a month with medicine, or however the innkeeper. But the good Samaritan is is irrelevant to what, what we need to cover today. You've got the priest and the Levite. So can we, can we all agree that that's how the story went? Yes, no, any dissenters? If, I mean, now's the time. Throw it out there. No, you got something wrong. And surely, if the way I just told it is exactly the way it was told, the Jews would have no problem with the priest and the Levite doing that. There's no problem. All throughout Numbers, Numbers 19, Ah, you can turn that, 1916 if you want to, but let me get it here. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who is died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. We got a priest and a Levite. And it says they're unclean for seven days if they touch somebody that's been slain or dead. So that tells us that the slain person is not dead yet, right? Because God put the term dead in there. Dead, 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 dead. Or about to be. And so this guy that's been beaten, he's about to be. So if the priest and the Levite touch him, what are they going to be? Unclean. So if the story goes the way we just agreed that it all went, the Jews have no problem with that. Because why? you got a priest and a Levite. All priests are Levites, not all Levites are priests. Some Levites, bless their hearts, their elevators just don't get off the ground floor and they tote wood in the temple. Don't laugh because I tote wood all day too. It's an honorable trade. But the priests come from whom? Aaron. They're direct descendants of Aaron. Now Aaron and Moses, Moses had kids. But they're not in the priestly line. It's Aaron's kids. God chose Aaron to pass the line of the priesthood through. So, you've got a priest. You've got, you've got a, a, a born Levite who is qualified for service in the temple. And if he touches this guy and he's on his way to Jerusalem, where can he not go? The temple. He can't go do the work God has called him to. The Levite, same thing. The Levite's going to work in the temple if he touches this ailing man, this sick man, this dead man who has blood all over him, he can't work in the temple. He's got to go to the gate of the city, wash in the ashes and water of a red heifer, and wash his clothes, and then in a week, he can go in and he can continue with his duties. But that's not quite how the story goes. Luke 10. 
Starting in verse 30, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell upon thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Did you notice anything? There's one word that we left out of our understanding, and it's the word down. If you're in Jerusalem and you're going anywhere outside of Jerusalem, you're going down. Jerusalem sits atop a mountain. When we go down, we go down to Bethlehem. We go down to Bethany. We go down to Samaria. Now, Jericho sits east by northeast of Jerusalem. So technically, the way Americans would say it, we're going over to Jericho, but you got to go down the mountain. Jericho sits almost a thousand feet below sea level. Jerusalem sits 2,500 feet above sea level, so you got two-thirds of a mile's distance in altitude over the course of about 30 miles. You got a nice descent down into the valley, a hard rock coming back. Now, if they're leaving Jerusalem, are they headed to the temple? No. More than likely, they have been in, in the temple accomplishing their course that David laid out in 1 Chronicles 23 when he divided the priests up into 24 courses. All right, you've got this week this year, and six months later, you've got this week, and each course would come and serve in the temple, so you don't have 30,000 guys working in the temple all at the same time. It gets a little bit crowded. So they're leaving. So now what would it have cost the priest and the Levite at this point? By their definition, nothing. It would have cost them nothing to minister to this man because they're, they're not going to Jerusalem. They're leaving Jerusalem. If you touch a dead body, you are unclean for seven days. If you touch certain dead animals, you are unclean until evening. You have to take a bath. You have to wash. Scrub your clothes. If you sat down on something and you're sick, you're, what you're, the chair you sat down on or the saddle you sat in, it's unclean. Wash it with water, and then at evening, you can pick back up and be clean again. But if you just grab a nasty, injured, or dead body, it's a weak process. And so it costs these guys nothing because they're leaving Jerusalem. They're not going to the temple. They, they've either completed their course, or they're just going out to go visiting. It costs them nothing. We understand the concept, but sometimes for the wrong reason. We understand, well, they're priests and they're Levites. They're supposed to be the great people. They're the ones that are supposed to help, and indeed they are. They should be the ones that are reaching down. They're the ones that should minister. But if they were coming up the road, it would be socially acceptable for them to sidestep, overstep, Ignore the situation altogether. And the first century Jew sees this. The word down is key to this passage. You've got to understand the way they're going. If, Like say, if they're coming up, they can sidestep. If they're going down, it costs them nothing. And so they just ignored the man just because they didn't feel like dealing with him. So, that gets us to John 19. Y'all are thinking like a Jew now, right? Not like, ooh, I'm going to buy a week old bagels so I can save two cents a piece on them, but like first century Jew. 
John 19 is a very action-packed chapter of the Bible. Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus has had disciples fall asleep on him. Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has put an ear back on. Jesus has been drugged through the streets. Jesus has been drugged from house to house amidst a Roman band in the middle of the night. Jesus has been put through mock trial after mock trial. Jesus has been beaten. Jesus has been scourged. Jesus has had his back laid open. Jesus' blood is flowing. Jesus has been mocked. He's been ridiculed. Jesus has had a robe put on him and beaten the head with reeds. Jesus has had an old rugged cross strapped to his back and forced to walk out the city gates to Golgotha. Jesus has been stretched out on a cross. Jesus' hands have been pierced. Jesus' feet have been pierced. Jesus has charged his friend John with the care of his mother. Jesus has said, it is finished. And Jesus has died. The most precious thing to the Father has now died. The Savior of sinful, wretched humanity has died. And it is here that we meet somebody else. We meet a man who's not talked about earlier in John. He's talked about in the same place in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His name's Joseph of Arimathea. Who is Joseph of Arimathea? He's a wealthy man. He's a businessman. He's a man with a lot of contacts. Mark tells us he's a good and just man. He's a politician, so that's kind of a contradiction in terms there. But He sits on the Sanhedrin. He's got contacts. He's got trade routes. He's a merchant of the highest degree. He gives to the temple. He sponsors temple. He probably sponsors temple's version of youth upward soccer. He's a good man. But it also tells us something else about Joseph. I'm going to read it. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. We know from the other Gospels that Pilate sends one of the soldiers out to the hill. Is he really dead? Is this man really already dead? Because this is a torture that's designed to take days to kill they want you to experience pain like you've never felt. They want you to hurt like you've never hurt. They want you to be mocked, ridiculed. You're naked on this stake 
out at the city gate for everybody to see. And in just a few short hours, Jesus gave up the ghost. They didn't take it. He gave it up. And he's dead. And in the only noble act that we can ever find of Pilate in history happens right here. He gives Joseph permission to take Jesus' body. So Jesus goes, probably with a few of his servants, and they go out to Golgotha. And they let him down. And they take his body, and it's the day of preparation. We have what's called a Shabbaton the next day. What's the holiday, the Shabbaton? It's Passover. We've got a meal that we've got to eat tonight, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins tomorrow. This man cannot be on the cross. That's why they wanted his legs broke. But Joseph, who's been secret this whole time, who's been quiet about his faith this whole time, who has maybe, if I just keep my head down, they won't notice, but this whole time goes to Pilate. And you want to talk, the buck stops here. That's where it stops in Palestine. It stops at Pilate's death. And he asks for the body. Joseph risked his life in going to see Pilate. They've probably known each other since he sits on the Sanhedrin. I'm sure Pilate's had conversations, even if it's just idle chit-chat with Joseph. We don't know that for sure, but him being one of the ruler, Jewish rulers, there's a good probability. And he asked for this body. And we've got to get him buried. It's almost sundown. We've got to get him buried. Hey, I've got a tomb over here in this garden. And he takes him to the tomb. Then we're, we're reintroduced to somebody else. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Nicodemus, we've met him. Who's Nicodemus? Jesus calls him the teacher in Israel. Not a teacher, but the teacher. He, he, he is the smartest of the smart when it comes to Talmud, Tanakh, and Torah. That's the Jewish Old Testament and the book of Jewish customs. He knows it. If anybody's got it memorized, he's got it memorized. He is the author he would be on parallel with the chief curator of the Smithsonian Museum. The chief curator at the Smithsonian knows so much about America. He knows more about America than any of us could ever know. He's probably forgotten more than any ten of us will ever remember about America. He knows about this spoon. He knows about this cup. He knows about this particular train, this particular airplane, the engineer for all these. He's the chief curator. He's in charge of everything American. Nicodemus is in charge of everything Jewish. He knows the culture. That's why in John chapter 7, when they're wanting to try Jesus and kill Jesus, Nicodemus speaks up and says, Hey, our law says we don't condemn a man without first giving him a trial. And then somebody replies back, Go read the scripture. No prophet ever came out of Galilee. Kind of a slap in the face, isn't it? Hey, you, go read the scripture. 
I know you've got it all memorized. I know you know it all. But you go read it again because you're wrong. Really? You ever been shouted down for Jesus' sake? You ever been smacked back for Jesus' sake? We don't even know that Nicodemus was a believer in chapter 7 of John. He comes to him in chapter 3 and he's discussing what born again means, what it means to inherit eternal life. He's having this great philosophical, theological, and boots-on-the-ground conversation with Christ. Explain to me what it means. We know that you are sent by God for no man can do the things that you do unless God sent him. We know it. But explain. I want to know more. I want to understand. Now, Nicodemus, in my mind, is a man that is searching. He's searching for what the law could not put in him. He is searching out. He's trying to find that missing piece, that little missing link. And he goes to this man who seems to have it. What can I do? And so that's where Jesus tells us that he is the teacher in Israel. How are you a teacher of Israel that you don't know these things? How can I speak to you of heavenly things when you don't understand earthly things? So we've got Nicodemus who comes in now. And they bring aloes, and he brings aloes, and he brings spices. Some people say what he brought is enough to embalm a king. Some people differ. Either way, it's two big feed bags full of spice and aloe. That's about how much. But there's something else that happens here. Over in Numbers, chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. I'm about to read it. If you want to, feel free to. But Numbers 6, or excuse me, Numbers 9, 6 to 11. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. They came before Moses and Aaron that day, and those men said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord and its appointed time among the children of Israel? Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse, or is far away on a journey, you may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the fourteenth day of the second month at twilight, you may keep it. They get to keep it a month later. Talmud tells us that there's pageantry involved with Passover. Remember, Jesus talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees seeking choice seats at the feasts and festivals. What they will do is they will come into the court of Gentiles, they'll put up all these tables, and all the Pharisees and Sadducees would come in and take Passover before the nation. And we said that these two guys are working in the tomb on what day? Passover. It's just a couple of hours before the Passover meal. So who's not going to be at the celebration? The smartest guy in Israel concerning Israel and a really wealthy guy who's a great guy on the Sanhedrin. There's going to be two empty seats. You know somebody's going to talk. Where's Nicodemus? I, I don't see him anywhere. 
Somebody go find his wife and ask her where he is. Now, y'all have seen her on the toes, and you don't want to mess with her now. But Nicodemus isn't there. Joseph isn't there because they love the law. They seek to fulfill the law. And truth be told, there's a lot of other guys that shouldn't be there that night. That shouldn't be taking the Passover. But even if it's not during a period of this great pageantry at their homes, where's daddy? Where's granddaddy? Where's great uncle? Where's brother? Maybe even possibly where's son? Why isn't he here? Because they can't take the Passover. They'll have to do it a month later. These guys have been quiet for three and a half years. They've been secretly believing, Nicodemus secretly hoping, for fear of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus got shouted down. But in one bloody act of kindness, one act of defiling love. Their holiness is defiled in their kindness to the tabernacle of Christ. They carry that bloody body, no doubt getting blood on them, no doubt getting sweat on them, mud, whatever grime that he fell in on his way to Golgotha. All over their robes, all over their arms, they're defiled, they're nasty, they're unclean. Where are they for supper? Why aren't they here? Because they took a stand. They said, no more cheap grace. We're tired of cheap grace. We are bought. Their actions said it all. Unfortunately, the church today has become a purveyor of cheap grace. And we as congregations have become consumers of it. Let's have Bible study this night. Well, you know, I can't. There's a game on or... I, you know, I just... I, I've done three Bible studies this week. All right, I'm good. Well, let's... Let, let's, let's find a time to pray. Well, you know, I just... I sit at home. You know, Jesus said, go into your closet. Well, I go into my closet and I begin, oh, Lord... God, you know, I, love. I pray on my bed at night before I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I've done that too. And the next thing I know, it's 5.30 in the morning and the alarm's going off. Cheap grace. What program can we use to put people in the seats? What program can we use to keep people? Come to Jesus. It's free. It won't cost you a thing. Lie! It's a lie. It cost these men their lives. Nicodemus, I can guarantee you after this, is no longer the teacher in Israel. Joseph of Arimathea probably lost some insider business with the temple. These guys put it on the line. There weren't three men crucified that day. There were five. 
Two from the priestly caste go down into the grave in order that they may go up to God. Cheap grace. We love cheap grace. Why? Because it's cheap. We love to nickel and dime our faith. I ask you again for serious contemplation. When was the last time you were shouted down for Christ? When was the last time you suffered rebuke for Christ's sake? What has it cost you? These men lost families because they buried a man. These men lost their livelihoods in some respect because they wrapped a dead body. These men stepped out and said, no more. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus. We don't know what happened to Joseph per se. There are apocryphal books that are written for Nicodemus. Apocryphal books written about Joseph of Arimathea. We can't validate them to be true. Scholars can't say, yes, this is right or no, it's wrong. So we say, we don't know what happened to them. But we end right here in their stories. Loving Christ. Grabbing a hold of Christ. Putting their holiness, their, their, their image of holiness, the pharisaical image of holiness to the side that they may love God. What does it cost you? Now it's not going to cost everybody their life. John lived to be a hundred or so. Stephen, probably 25 or 30. Are we impacted by both? Yes. To be a young man like Stephen. I know a young man out in California that was very similar. His name was James. James went for an audition one Sunday afternoon after church. The audition was for America's hunky handyman. He said it just blew his mind when he got there. What? 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 And a group of us went up there to support him. And he comes out. And he tells the most bizarre story. He said, you know, the audition was going great. They were asking me tools. And I was like, yeah, I know that tool. I know that tool. And he was interacting really well with the interviewer. And everybody on the panel seemed to really like him. And then the, the lady that was interviewing asked him, why are you dressed the way you are? Well, I, I just came from church. Oh. So do you consider yourself to be one of those Christians? And James told her, yeah, not a very good one. I, I, I try, but I fail. And she continues to needle James, and she's like, well, what do you think about gay marriage? And James, throwing a career out the window that would have potentially paid him millions of dollars, says, my Bible says that's wrong. She says, thank you, goodbye. The chief producer comes down the stairs. He said, I didn't know that this was a criteria. She said, oh, yes. But James walked out. James walked out with a smile on his face. I want to live like that. I want to stand up like that. I knew another lady. Her name was Ruth Eulinger. Ruth and her husband got married right after World War II. Went to Biola University there in South Los Angeles, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. 
they were going to be missionaries. And they go to the Congo. And they land and they set up camp with another couple. Well, the two husbands were going to go fly back into civilization to pick up some more supplies and come back. And Ruth and this other lady, they were standing at the end of the runway watching the plane take off and then watching it nosedive right into the runway. Now Ruth could come back home, right? She got a hard pass to come back home. Who would want to stay in the jungle for the next 50 years? Just the two ladies. She Come home, Ruth. Ruth knows 12 different African languages fluently. She speaks Swahili like a native, and she loved on those children for 50 years. What did it cost her? The price of her ticket to serve Christ was her husband. But she said, you brought me here. You can keep me here. Expensive grace, not cheap grace. We love cheap grace because it doesn't cost us. I think missions are an awesome thing. I think foreign missions are an awesome thing. But a lot of times we will do foreign missions because we won't go across the street. It's easy to live holy for a week. It's hard to live a life of holiness. I tell you because the jug had to get wet before it can fill up the cups. I used to love international missions. And then I got to thinking about why I loved it. Because it was so easy to go and be holy for that week. Woo, it was a stretch if it was two weeks. Now international missions are awesome. And when we go to spread the word of God, it is a wonderful, awesome thing. Jesus commands it. But don't live different on the mission trip than we do at work. Carry that spirit. Walk in that spirit. Walk with that expensive grace. You are bought with the price. You were bought with the most precious thing heaven had to offer. The thick, rich, life-changing, crimson blood of the Lamb of God. No more cheap grace. We've been in Ephesians the last few weeks talking about grace. God has imparted grace to you. God imparted that grace because back in Genesis, Abraham told us that God would provide for himself a lamb. And he did. No more cheap grace. I don't want it anymore. I'm tired of cheap grace in my life. I'm tired of walking in it. I hope you are too. Let's grab a hope to the coattails of Christ. Grab a hope. Shun cheap grace. We make a mockery of the blood every time. Every time. Oh, well, God will forgive me of that. It's okay. God loves me, so he'll turn a blind eye. He'll wink at this. It's okay. It's not. It's not. When we fall, we fall. Repent, get up, and walk. 
Walk, repent, repeat. Walk, repent, repeat. Constantly. Daily, lay it aside. Don't settle for cheap grace. We love it. I don't get it. Why do we love it so? Because it doesn't cost us anything? Because it doesn't hurt? Because we don't like the momentary light affliction, as Paul says? God, forgive us. God, forgive me. Work in us. Change us. Break us. Change our minds, God. Change our hearts. Draw us to you. You that spoke the universe into being. You that took a handful of dust, formed it, and created humanity. If you're tired of cheap grace today, talk to Him. If you're over cheap grace in your life, talk to Him. Find out just how valuable the grace is. Read your Bible. God put a tally sheet right there. There's a ledger that tells you just how much it costs. Father God, God, we love you. God, we fail you. God, we fall. Father, forgive us for cheap grace. Forgive us for consuming it. Forgive us for putting it out there, God. God, be exalted. Father, be lifted up. Be glorified. Father, have your will in your way now. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll please stand. Suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one cry And from north to south And east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole earth echoing his eminence, his name would burst from sea to sky, from rivers to the mountaintops, we'd hear Christ be magnified. in me and oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me and 
When every creature finds a sinmost melody And every human heart is native cry Oh, in and one enraptured hymn of praise We'll see Christ be magnified Oh, be lifted high, Jesus And oh, Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be magnified Stand strong and worship you And if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true If the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a doorway Into resurrection life if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified. been good to feast on God's Word today, amen? If you are a visitor, know that we appreciate you, we love you, we are glad that you're here. Grab somebody and make yourself known on the way out the door. Folks, grab a visitor, make yourself known on the way out the door. No services tonight, enjoy the time with your family, enjoy the night off. Uh, regular schedule the rest of the week though, as far as I know. Uh, Bill Bailey's our deacon of the week, he's going to close us out. Yes, sir. All right. We have been born again through the blood of Christ. He is our victory. 
Help us to spread that news. Comfort those, dear Father, that are on our prayer list. Dear God, the, the ones that uh, are, uh, Father, battling with the, the illnesses that are many, dear God. But we are, you are the great physician. Dear Father, help us to lift them up in prayer. Be a prayer warrior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.